and welcome back to Franklin Covey's On Leadership Series. My name is Scott Miller, and I serve as your host each week. I have to tell you, I am super encouraged and excited about the 2020 roster of guests. As in previous episodes and years, we've got a whole slew of best-selling authors, business titans, thought leaders, expert scientists, and increasingly, you know, I like with the production team to be looking at people that we can also re relate to, people that have had careers like us or perhaps per are one step ahead of you and I in their careers, that we can really learn practical leadership lessons from their careers, from their stumbles, from their successes. And today we have just that guest. I don't think she's an author of a formal book yet, but perhaps she will. Her name is Diana O'Brien, and she serves as the Global Chief Marketing Officer for Deloitte. So let's welcome Diana to On Leadership. Hi, Scott. Thanks. I'm thrilled to be here Diana. And, and humbled as I look at all those books behind you. No, Diana, we're honored that you're here as well. I don't care if you've written a book or not, but I've read much of what you've written in terms of blogs and, and posts and interviews, so I'm excited to get in to your career today. Uh, you're going to represent kind of a new wave for on leadership. We're going to continue to have these amazing authors and thought leaders. We're also going to have people like yourself that have a very particular point of view on their career and on leadership, but have something that sometimes some authors don't have, which is just uber practical advice in terms of their own experiences, right? Sometimes, you know, those who are authoring haven't been in the trenches all the time like you and I have been. So don't mean to diminish them at all. Very excited to have today's conversation. You and I have some things in common, right? Although I'm not the global CMO of Deloitte, many of our listeners and, and viewers know that I have served as the chief marketing officer for Franklin Covey for seven years. Like you, I've just hit 24 years at Franklin Covey. I think you have a similar tenure at Deloitte. I want to turn the mic over to you and have you, if you'll take a couple of moments, minutes even, sure. and kind of walk us yeah. through your journey and how does somebody become the global CMO of a major brand like Deloitte? Sure, I'm happy to. So the first thing I'd say is that I had no plan to become the CMO. And in fact, probably within the last five years, six years, I didn't even think of this as a potential role. So uh, just to back up and tell you what my 30 plus year career has been, I first started working when I was in high school. I found I really loved work. I worked at an airport. I had no idea that airports would become so important to me uh, yeah. and, and be such a big part of my life as they are today. But I worked then at a hospital when I was in college and put myself through school, both undergrad and graduate school. And I was thinking I'd go work for that hospital uh, post my education and by the good fortune of the CFO that I worked for, he said, no, you have to go out into the, into the real world, Diana. You've been protected here and, uh, and make a career of yourself. And so I interviewed for a number of companies. I chose Deloitte. I uh, was super excited to do it. And I went into consulting, uh, healthcare, life sciences, consultant uh, in strategy and operations. And that was a wonderful um, experience. I learned so much so quickly. It was, it really changed um, how I viewed the world and problems and exposed me to so many new things. I also met my husband then and uh, and we you know, got married, had kids, but I kept doing exactly what I was doing. Uh, I did have a juncture that I'll chat about um, maybe a little bit later that, that did change some dynamics. But what happened was I started moving through my career through client service roles. I became senior client leaders. And then I had the opportunity to, I had raised my hand for a number of things, but 
I was asked for a job that I didn't expect, which was to open and lead Deloitte University. And that was a real pivotal point in my career. It, it, uh, the Deloitte University, just as some background, is our learning and leadership center that we um, built in Westlake, Texas. And uh, the opportunity to work alongside our then CEO and be part of this amazing leadership center to get it open, to define what it meant for our firm, to be part of really reshaping the culture was a tremendous privilege and I learned an enormous amount. And that was really the moment that changed my trajectory within the firm. That opportunity allowed me to influence so many of our people. The next thing I did after that was asked to join the executive team responsible for essentially all of our market development. So that was everything from clients and industries to sales, to marketing, communications, et cetera, and had that role within the U.S. for a number of years. Uh, and then I was asked to take on the chief marketing officer role in the U.S. We didn't have that role. It didn't exist previously. And so I was the first for that role. And, and then within the last you know, two and a half years, I, I took on the global responsibility as well. So that's my journey and how I got here. But I never viewed myself as a marketer or a salesperson until my juncture at Deloitte University, which then changed my mindset uh, because I had been focused on just sort of serving one client and solving those problems when I was there. So that's my journey. It's great, Diana. Uh, rewind a little bit. Everybody's heard of Deloitte. It's like, you know, kind of a household name, at least in the corporate world. For those sure. listeners and viewers that may not be exactly sure what Deloitte's sweet spot is, talk a bit about uh, what competency Deloitte brings to their clients. Yeah, well, we're the largest professional services firm in the world. And we bring, uh, the, the business disciplines we bring are consulting, auditing, financial advisory, tax. Uh, but it, what we really surround clients with a set of capabilities to address and solve their most important issues, um, regardless sort of, of the domain that it's in. And we do that within 26 industry sectors okay. that we focus on. So um, that that is that is the kind of heart of what we do. Uh, and then we do that for um, not just the largest clients, but uh, in the world, the Fortune 500, but we also do it for um, small, uh, emerging companies and uh, and privately held companies. So we've got quite a portfolio. That's helpful. Diana, You, I've read a lot about you. I've read your blogs and watched your interviews. We've had a chance to get to know each other prior to this interview. We have some similar philosophies. You know, As the chief marketing officer, a, a role that I've recently stepped away from, one of my, um, my bully pulpit you know, moments, if you will, was to remind the members of our team, we had a small team, about 35 people, I'm proud of that team, that you know, as the marketing group, we don't just own the brand, because it's hard to put the brand in the bank, right? Is that we have to be responsible for revenue and pipeline and sales, and that too often, sometimes marketers, I think, find themselves maybe safely ensconced over in marketing because they don't want to be accountable for revenue or for client success and such. And I, I've read where you've talked about the importance that chief marketing officers need to see themselves responsible for growth and for revenue. Talk about how your own opinions have shaped um, and kind of moved your team around being closer to revenue growth for your firm and your shareholders. Yeah, I think the most important thing is, I would say it maybe slightly differently than the way that you did. I think it actually starts that the, 
the marketers need to see themselves at the center of the strategy, a business strategy. Yeah. So it's it starts there. So the customer has to be in the strategy. I, I've seen companies where the customer isn't even in the strategy and you can hear a fully articulated business strategy and it's not anchored around what the customer you're serving and what you're trying to accomplish. So the first step I think is marketers need to see themselves as in the strategy conversation and help to shape that by bringing the insights and wisdom of the customer and clients that they serve. And then it flows through to operationally executing that, whether that it influences R&D, it influences um, the way that uh, somebody answers the telephone. Uh, so I, I know people used to say, you know, your brand sort of is everything. And I, I like the turn of the phrase of everything is your brand. Uh, so whether you, you know, however you show up is going to define your brand. And so I don't think it's that you're not responsible for the brand. I think you are just responsible for the brand and the brand is so much bigger right. than you thought it was. And ultimately that does drive growth. So you have to be close to the customer. You really need to understand what, what the customer is purchasing from you and why. And, and, and you're responsible for that connective tissue and that, and that loyalty. But we do, we very programmatically think about um, the role marketing plays and, and, and make sure that people in the business, the people who are out uh, developing the products, delivering those, uh, see marketing as a uh, integral team member to all the work. Diana, what advice would you give to marketers, whether they're the CMO or the you know, product manager or director of marketing, to stay focused on the customer. It's tempting, is it not, to use your own language and to be so focused on your product and move away from the customer. Any advice you'd give anybody at any phase of marketing in their career, how to stay customer-centric? Yeah, I think one of the things I'd say is to get outside of your own box. Don't, uh, it's so easy to become focused and, and delivering for your internal stakeholders. And that's certainly important but going out and making sure that you're talking and participating with clients. And as in my case, uh, you know, a former consultant, it's about being in the mix of those projects, listening to feedback around it. I remember when I was at Deloitte University and had that responsibility, we had something that we did every single morning that was reviewing all the feedback that we'd received through uh, whatever professionals had left that day. Uh, or we're still on site if they provided some on the online tool. And we, we, every morning we had this, every morning meeting where we all stood up and we went through every piece of feedback to address it. And I think that's what, you have to be that close. You have to, to, to hear from the customers themselves as opposed to letting it go through multiple um, individuals to get to you. So making sure that you do spend the time to really understand the customer and get some external um, inspiration around that, uh, I think that's awfully helpful for, for marketers regardless of where they are in their, in their journey. The other thing is to put it in the context of business terms. So I think it's very important to speak the language of your other executives. So working to understand what's important to the chief risk officer or the CIO is, is very important and trying to use their language to then describe the customer's needs that will help to, to sort of garner their support around what it is that you are trying to accomplish in sharing the customer voice. 
Dan, I've also uh, I've heard in one of the interviews that you gave, you talked about the value of the voice of the customer. You kind of talked about that just now. What advice would you give to marketing divisions inside organizations, small, medium, large, global companies, where sometimes marketing is a step away from the client, right? Is, you know, they're not always client facing, sales has that relationship, they're relying on the sales or other groups to kind of, you know, synthesize information to them. How do how does the marketing team stay super connected to the customer and represent the voice of the customer inside the organization? Well, certainly through data, that's one way. Um, but I would argue that marketers do need to go out and listen to clients directly. Um, it's certainly the case in our organization. And I think it's in the case of many organizations we advise, it isn't, uh, it isn't the responsibility of sales to filter that back. It is the responsibility of marketer, marketers to go out into the marketplace and listen to clients. But I, I absolutely think you can use analytics and digital tools to be able to garner insight uh, about what's happening. But having real conversations makes a huge difference. Data doesn't always tell the full story if you haven't uh, spent the time to really connect with, with customers, especially when you're making big decisions. Can you share some of the data points or data analytics that Deloitte uses to better understand the voice of your customer and it shapes your strategy and your brand and your go-to-market approach? Yeah, so for example, we have Deloitte Insights. I know one of the areas you're responsible for now is, is thought leadership and eminence. And we also uh, provide a lot of thought leadership right. and eminence right. around things. And we monitor very closely what uh, people are, are reading, um, what, where they, how much time they spend on that content. And then we look for the level of engagement. So we provide platforms for them to engage back with us and we look at how we're engaging digitally and we can track that data to say, this is what people are talking about. Then we combine some of that data with our social data and what people are saying externally or influencers are saying. And we bring that data together to tell a stronger story about what people are thinking and what's important to them. Um, that, that to me has been enormously valuable. And that's just you know, one example. Yeah, I was giving a, a, a speech at our annual sales conference a few weeks ago with our global sales staff that came in. And as the former chief marketing officer, now overthought leadership, I was talking about how I sort of view the new public relations is thought leadership. You know, kind of gone are the days of issuing press releases and calling up reporters. There aren't any left, right? Is that thought leadership tends to be one of the best ways to, to articulate your company's point of view how do you see thought leadership for Deloitte? Because we hear that term a lot and it's kind of an industry term. In your opinion, what is thought leadership and how can really any organization, I mean, a dentist office, right, could have thought leadership around that. What advice would you give to marketers around how to leverage what you and I call thought leadership to help to uh, marshal and progress their brand out with potential customers and current customers? Yeah, first of all, I, I completely agree with you. To me, thought leadership is content that others can use to move forward, to improve. Uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's, in, it's in the service of what you want to provide to your customers. And hopefully as people engage with your thought leadership, what they see is that your insights around certain topics are, um, are, are particularly valuable to them right. and help them move their agenda. Right. And that helps to build trust. And once you have trust on, uh, on something, you're more willing to engage in whatever that particular 
offering might be, whether it's getting your teeth cleaned or hiring a professional services provider. So to me, it's an element of where um, I, I, I absorb, if you will, the insights of someone and an organization to be able to see if it applies in my circumstance. And if it does and it's useful, it furthers my ability to, to trust. It's not a tagline, it's not, um, it's not a broadcast message. It's, it's really me offering up the wisdom that I have on a topic. And again, for professional services firms that can be in many industries, it can be in many sectors, it can be across multiple problems that face the world. And if those are the same types of issues that are in our case, our clients are trying to address then it's enormously useful for them to move forward with. Diana, I was at a marketing conference a few years ago and was listening to a, a, a CMO, someone of your similar stature in terms of a global branded company. And she said something to me that was profound that really changed one of the ways I saw my role as a CMO, which was instead of seeing yourself just as the CMO, see yourself as the chief recruitment officer. That when you, when you own both the culture and the brand, you create a very appealing workplace for people. At Franklin Covey, we refer to our company as hopefully a workplace of choice for achievers with heart. That's something that our CEO repeats very consistently. How do you see and what advice would you give other leaders of marketing as seeing part of their role to be uh, a chief recruitment officer, to be um, build a brand where people love to not just come, but come and stay and thrive? Yeah, I think it's a very insightful comment. I'd not heard it before as the chief recruitment officer. Although I do think culture and brand are really mirror images of each other. And the reason for me that it is so important is if you believe in your brand, but your culture doesn't reflect what your brand stands for, eventually what's happening on the inside will show up on the outside and it will affect your brand. So that's why I see the alignment as closely as you do and what you just described. And I, it's critical that the, uh, the chief marketing officer have strong alignment with the chief talent officer of an organization and see themselves jointly responsible for culture. The, uh, and, and actually I think that of the, of the brand as well, I think these are, these are interdependent relationships today. They're not siloed yeah. responsibility uh, elements. So I, I do look at it and think, gosh, if, if organizations could more deeply embrace this, and really can clarify what their brand stands for, who they are, and help to drive the behavior of their professionals uh, and how they show up in the world, that is, that's, a, that's a secret sauce. And it's not easy to do. Uh, sometimes I, I say, you know, some of the, the things that are soft are really, really hard to accomplish. Right. But getting everybody to show up in the world with what you stand for in every decision that they make and in every interaction they have with customers is, uh, is is really how a brand reinforces itself in, in the marketplace. So I think there's an enormous interdependence to, to culture. When I was at uh, Deloitte University, it, it was the moment that changed for me. Every single professional, and every professional comes to Deloitte University during their, during their time, first 90 days, and then at certain milestones, and we teach a number of courses around that. When that happens, what, what the individuals that, that are there and what they take away is they're really walking away with the mindset of what Deloitte is. And that that's one of the most valuable things because when I reflected back on, it's not just showing up at one client, it's all of these professionals showing up at all of our clients. And when they do that in a way that reflects who we are, 
we've accomplished the the goal of of really standing behind who we are and our purpose. Diane, I want to talk about your passion around the role that empathy plays in leadership. Be, before I go there, I, I want to ask you a, an alignment question. I think it's fair to say in many organizations, too many organizations, there is an inherent conflict between sales and marketing for those who are organized like that, right? Is that there's a common refrain that sales feels that marketing's not, you know, providing them the support they need or the leads or their job is just to move the lead through the process and not be out ahead. And then there's the argument the other way that marketing feels like sales is blaming everything on them. For those organizations that have those kind of siloed structures, any insight you would bring from your own experience and tenure on how to build a culture where sales and marketing, when they are perhaps peer groups that are siloed, with similar leaders trying to you know, curry favor with the CEO and, and build their organizations, any insights you would bring to say, hey, stop doing this and begin doing this? Yeah, I mentioned one before, which I think it is getting the language down and helping each other, uh, those individual groups understand what each brings to the table and do it in the sense of, of appreciating the other uh, the other constituent in this in the story. So uh, for me, at least, when I was um, when I took on the responsibility of both, I brought the leaders of that had various responsibilities there together to talk about well, what were their objectives, what were they trying to accomplish, and really tried to start using their language in terms of how to do something that the other group wanted to do. So when sales is saying, "Look, I got to close the deal. I need to. I need to. Um, you know." Uh, reduce the timeline or increase the spend, you know, whatever their objective might have been, to try to use those same types of words in the terms of what marketing could do to help that. Here's how we can help accelerate the closing of your deal. Here's, I think that's a really important nuance. And so whatever the language is that your organization uses, trying to use common language is, uh, is enormously um, useful. You know, again, I, I told you earlier, I didn't see myself as either a sales or a marketing person as a consultant. I, I saw myself as a problem solver, and that's what I what I did. And so, not having in my own mind that as a background, and not being professionally trained in right. in those academically, right. I I didn't come in with that bias. Kind of liberated and you. I think yeah, we made a lot of progress right. to to uh, by bringing it together under one. Yeah, I think a great insight I've learned from you, Diana, is as marketers, we talk and hear a lot about speaking the language of your customer, right? Moving out of your own acronyms and your own vernacular and hearing your customer's language and speaking a language that your customer talks. But you take it a step further and talk about one of the roles of marketers, for that matter, anybody, is to speak the language of the other divisions, right? Is speak, you didn't say this, but speak HR and speak IT and speak finance. You didn't say that exactly, but anything you want to add to that? That's right. No, I think that's right. I mean, marketing can be the convener of the executive leaders to break down the silos and center on the customer. But they only get that respect if they understand what drives the business. If they understand what are the challenges that the IT organization is facing with, uh, you know, AI and cloud and, you know, you have to appreciate their issues. What's finance worried about when they need to show up on a, uh, you know, on a, on a, on an earnings call? What, what is it that, that the you know, R&D organizations facing in the iterations of product development. And only then can you translate, and that's why I think it's such an important role, 
what the customer, what, what we need to do for the customer, you put it in the language of those executives. And I, so I think you said it maybe more, more succinctly than I did, but, uh, but that's the point. It's, it's really understanding how the business is operates and, and what are the levers that are really driving the other leaders? What are the things they're focused on and how can you put what you know about the customer in those terms? Diana, we hear a lot about the word empathy as a leadership competency and that leaders need to be more empathic listeners and show empathy to their people. Uh, without trying to use the word empathy too many times, talk about your own experience with it. Why is it important? Why is it perhaps enormously important the more senior you are in an organization? Uh, empathy is, is one of our signature traits that we train on. Uh, and I do think you can be taught uh, empathy. Uh, there's certainly a mindset that goes along with that, that you need to believe that you can be more you know, fungible to that. But, uh, but empathy is, is super important for us. And we see it as you really end up, you need to walk in what someone else is experiencing. It's hard to do that if you don't have diverse teams and people to seek out that can help you understand um, others' perspective, or if you don't create an environment that encourages that level of engagement and curiosity and discussion around uh, different topics that you might be focused on. I do think it is critically important to be, to have empathy and to appreciate where someone comes from. If you don't know what their perspective is and they have a problem, you don't know how to get them there. And so it's the, it's the foundation to change management. Uh, and change management and big transformation is super hard to do. And if you can't look across an organization and a stakeholder group of individuals and understand where they're coming from, you don't know how to inspire them. You don't know how to unleash their potential. And so that's what empathy does if you, if you can bring it to the table. Thank you, Diana. Let's get vulnerable. So this year, in one of my many uh, free moments, I authored a book called Management Mess to Leadership Success. And basically, it was uh, a collection of 30 challenges that every leader faces, drawn from our own content. And I just sort of let it out there. I confessed all my messes and talked about how leadership is tough and it's not as rewarding in the short term as sometimes we're led to believe. And leadership of people isn't for everyone. That, that's my philosophy. Everyone has leadership within them. It might be leading a project or a, an initiative, but not everyone should be a leader of people. And so I have been speaking around the nation on the fact that everyone's got a mess, and if you can just own your mess as a leader, you can allow others to own theirs, not wallow in them, but to move towards success. It's actually done extremely well because I think it's not as buttoned down and as sterile as many of the leadership books uh, that uh, many write that are out there. I'd love it if you would share one of your own messes, uh, perhaps at Deloitte in your career, that you really learned from and you've used as maybe a teaching moment to help others avoid that mess and uh, move faster to success in their own career. Uh, okay, I have so many. Um, <laughs> That's the, good to uh, hear. That's good but to here's hear. one, here's one. I, 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 am, uh, I am a very fast-paced person and can appear at times to be quite intolerant of, um, I, I'm, a, I'm what we call in our organization a pioneer. So I love to brainstorm and bring lots of ideas and I wanna keep moving and I don't always listen with the same uh, intention that I wished you know, I would. And I recognize it as a, as a flaw and I have at times shut individuals down uh, and, and I shut one individual down 
at one point who had something really important and insightful to say. And uh, I, it came to my attention. I, I at the time maybe didn't appreciate it to the extent that I do now. Yeah. And, and what I recognized was that my style is not the same as everyone else's style. And I need to uh, work, again, putting that empathy hat back on to appreciate the needs of others. In the end, those, the insights that person brought forward were quite valuable. And, uh, and, and, you know, my pace is, uh, is not uh, always appreciated in yeah. that. You yeah. know, I'd say something that has also resulted is that at times people can fly too high. And I have done that at times too, where I haven't gotten down in the nitty gritty of, of the details to help others. And just yesterday, someone acknowledged uh, something I, I had done um, and so I'm, you know, might, might sound like I'm turning this into a compliment instead, but it was that they hadn't had someone work through the details. They provided a lot of advice previously to uh, don't do this, change this, move this, but we actually sat down and worked together. And this individual came to me yesterday and said, I just want to thank you for that because, you know, I haven't had that. And this was enormously helpful. And I ha have experienced in my own life uh, having done that a lot where I've simply provided the advice, but I didn't actually help work it with people. Yeah, and I think right. that's an enormous um, leadership responsibility that it isn't enough just to give people feedback. You have to demonstrate it. You have to be willing to get into the mix with them. And it's easy on your, on your road up uh, to forget that because you're busy managing up. Uh, but it's so important in terms of how you're remembered as a leader and, and who, how you show up. Diana, thanks for your vulnerability. I appreciate that. I think that's, uh, it's great to hear how easy it was for you to retrieve a mess and be uh, uh, transparent about it. Uh, in our final minute or two here, share some career advice, whether our listener is in marketing or operations or sales or consulting or strategy or finance. What's a point or two that you would share with just the broad millions of people around the world who are listening to this in podcast format or watching it Something you've learned the easier hard way that's contributed to your own career success to say, if you do more of this, your legacy, your impact, your career will be easier, broader, more um, impactful. Okay, so the first I would say is keep learning. Um, just last week, I had the chance to be at Harvard uh, for a week long investment in me around um, board leadership. and. I left there inspired and renewed again. Um, so I, I think it's really important. You don't stop learning. We're all on a journey to be our best, to show up our, in our best way. That leads me to the second one, which is show up. Just don't, don't, don't sit back. Uh, I, and I think this is particularly important for women. Uh, be present, show up, you know, be part of the conversation. Don't hesitate to extend your hand first, to be part of the conversation. And in order to do that, you have to bring a point of view. And so take the time to reflect on what are your points of view around specific topics so that you have something to shape and share with others. And they don't have to be everything, but have a few that are important to you. And if you, if you are always learning and you show up and you bring a point of view, right, you're able to say things that will really help others. And, and that's the point, be in service of others. And sometimes people think that they don't have anything important to say, but we all have something important to say if we're part of the mix. And I think that's to me is one of the most important things is 
don't sit back, don't hesitate, don't be engaged, raise your hand, be part of the mix, uh, take on things that, that you had no idea you could do. What, I, what I'm most appreciative of is if you're part of an environment where you can, uh, you, you really help people to be their best and, and move beyond their own personal barriers that hold them back. Uh, there's nothing more rewarding than that, and that alone will give you more confidence to move forward. Diana, I'm going to extend this another minute or two because I want to ask you a question. Uh, I'm going to guess we're of the same generation. I'm probably a little bit older than you are, but we have similar tenures in our company. I'm coming up right on 24 years at the Franklin Covey Company. Remind me how many years you've been in the Deloitte family. I think it's 32. 32 years. I mean, this is not the norm anymore. I mean, this is, you and I are outliers. I mean, for our generation, yeah. perhaps, but even my peers in college, none of them have been in a career longer than, you know, five, six years. And we know the statistics are now with the new generation coming in the workforce, you know, the average sometimes is three years for a career. It's very commonplace to have, you know, eight, 10 careers where you and I might have had one or two. What, what are you doing with your children at Deloitte? to talk about and, and um, create a culture where people want to stay more than three years and move on. Speak to that yeah, kind of issue in general. Yeah, if you, give people a, if you give people the opportunity to live their purpose through their, through their work, um, yeah. I, I think people want to stay. So that, one, you have to have a purpose people can align to. In our organization, I think you'd find every single person can articulate our purpose, which is to make an impact that matters our clients are people in the communities we live and work. The, and, and, and what I, some people might say, oh, that's just a cliche, but it isn't. We, we illustrate that through all kinds of things and we give people an opportunity to make it mean something to them so people can define that. And for me, I've been able to have a long career here because I've been able to redefine that at all kinds of new junctures and those created new jobs, new opportunities, new leaders to work with. It expanded my horizon to from the US to global, all kinds of things were provided as a result of being able to embrace that purpose. And I think that's that's one of the most important things to establishing a strong culture. Yeah, nicely said. Now, Diana, I'm sitting here in the On Leadership studio with uh, my favorite three or 400 books that I've uh, read. Some of them I've read you know, two or three times. I've written a few of them, but I don't see your book up here on the studio. What's going on? Where, where and when and what is the title of your book? Wow, the title of my book. Um, I think the title will be Make an Impact That Matters. Um, I don't know when it'll get on their shelf, but I'll work on that. And, uh, and maybe, maybe by next year, we'll have something there. Well, I know a few publishers and a few editors, so if you want to bridge to one, I'd be happy to make that connection. Sounds like Thanks. you have learned a lot in your 30 plus years at Deloitte. I'm honored that you joined us today. I've really enjoyed, you know, I wanna say peer to peer, we're not peers. You're much more wiser than I am, but I've enjoyed listening to some of your insights around the role of marketing and some of your own career advice. Uh, uh, very generous of you. Thank you for joining us and I'll look forward to helping promote you and your book and have you back on when it's written. Thanks, Scott, I really appreciate it. Thank you, Diana, so gracious of you. Thanks for joining us. Wow, great conversation. Some very interesting insights to hear Diana talk about, you know, kind of being the conduit, right? Being the conversation pollinator in an organization as a marketer, recognizing your role, speaking not just your client's language, but speaking the languages of those around you in the company. One of my 
I think strengths as an officer in this firm has been when I join the CEO's executive team, my job is to take off my marketing hat and put on my executive team member hat, right? And not think that everything should be solved by marketing or a press release or an offer or a campaign. I think it's a great career advice to each of us listening and watching to say, do you come at every solution in your company with your own functional you know, point of view or are you able to think a little more broadly and it's a challenge we all face, and I think it's a great way to build your contribution in your career. Thank you for joining us. If you're not subscribing to our podcast, do so by visiting franklincovey.com, or you can Google On Leadership with Scott Miller. We'd love to have you uh, rate it, review it, and refer all of your colleagues in. It's a free weekly newsletter. comes out each week in an email around 6 o'clock in the morning on Tuesdays, and you can download it on all of your favorite podcast channels as well. And we'll see you or talk to you next week here on leadership.